Hi, Dad. Hi, Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high-control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? (laughs) Well, maybe in my head. The thing is, though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. (laughs) Well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hi and welcome to What Should I Think About. I'm Stephen and I've got a very special guest today. Celine's away, well she's actually working today so and it was kind of a last minute thing um, but our special guest today is Riley from the Jexit channel. Welcome Riley. Hi Stephen, how are you doing? I'm very well. So this is kind of your idea, because uh, some time ago, I think we'd just done the Matrix uh, review or, or analysis, and uh, and you uh, you sent a note saying you should watch Equilibrium. Um, so I did. <laughs> and here we are. I thought, well, it's, if you think it's a good one to watch, then it would be good to get you on. Um, yeah, so um, Celine, um, by the way, is quite worried that she thinks you think that she doesn't like you because <laughs> she's never on when you're on um, and there's absolutely no reason for that other than it's just like something in the top in my head goes oh well, let's get Riley on and it's never convenient for Celine so uh, she mm-hmm. would love to talk oh, to no. you um, I, I, I didn't think that at all <laughs> good right okay um, so let's let's crack on so Equilibrium is a film uh starring christian bale he's the kind of biggest name in it it was made in 19 sorry 2002 we've got on the imdb website um directed by kurt wimmer wimmer starring christian bale tay diggs emily watson sean beans in it a bit sean pertwee who wants to talk about and angus mcfadden i suppose they're the main characters we'll get into all of those um and i don't know about you but i think it's a bit of an underrated film this um and i think it gets a little bit tarred with the poor man's matrix label mm. but mm. i don't think that's actually very fair so why do you like this film or what why do you think this film's an interesting one to talk about um i i really do see it as um another metaphor for waking up from um, indoctrination. Right. Definitely. Mm. Definitely. I mean, um, so the premise, can I talk about the premise? Please do. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. So the, the premise is that it's set into, it's set in the future, yeah. uh, in the not too distant future. It's sort of like, it's kind of post-apocalyptic in the sense that there was a war before yeah. the, before the film starts. Yeah, but uh, humanity seems to have recovered from the devastation from that, and mm-hmm. one way that they've kind of ensured that hum- the human race never gets to that point again is by suppressing all emotions. Mm-hmm. So they've got this pill that everybody takes several times a day to suppress their emotions, 
and um, that is seen as like the the cure to humanity's um, less evolved sensibilities. That's right. <laughs> that down the path. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So everybody's taking this. The world is sort of some kind of utopia, um, but it's a very, very thin veneer of order. Uh, underneath all of that, there's a it's an extremely totalitarian regime and and, yeah. and environment. Yeah, I which think in itself is a really is good. a metaphor for like mm. high control groups. Yeah, it is, and um, we'll get into it. But the the rhetoric is utopian but the reality is dystopian yeah. isn't it yeah absolutely and that exactly is is very is very apt yeah okay um so what we normally do with these um reviews or analyses on films is we normally sort of go through the film if not scene by scene we we look at the main scenes and that helps us get a route in to talk about all the all the nuance in there so that's quite a good way of doing it, I think. So the, the main character in this is is the Christian Bale character called John Preston. Um, and he's he's a member of this, well, he's what's called a Graviton cleric. Um, and the, at the beginning of the film, there's some narration which explains what you've just explained, essentially, sets the whole thing up. And it's done in a very kind of 1984 style way, really, isn't it? Mm, um, mm. With this this kind of father who is the um, supposed leader of this state or this dystopia, um, who's actually played by Sean Pertwee, by the way. Um, who I'm really I like Sean Pertwee because he's got a great voice. And mm. um, I don't know if you knew this, Riley, but he his dad was a Doctor Who. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Not many people know that, but obviously you did. It's not impressed you mm. at all. Um, but yeah, so, <laughs> oh, um, I'm a massive Doctor Who fan. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Um, so, but it's going right back to my childhood when I was a kid. He was um, sure John Pertwee was was the Doctor Who. So this is his son, Sean. Um, anyway, so that's yeah, that's how it it sort of sets it up. Um, we've got this uh, this the the, the Grammaton cleric is part of what's known as the Tetragrammaton. Um, mm. So straight away that gets our ears pinging, doesn't it? What what does that yeah. remind us of? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, as a, as ex-Jehovah's Witnesses, we were brought up um, to, to understand the Tetragrammaton as being those four characters, those four Hebrew characters. Yeah. Which spell out Y-H-W-H. Um, yeah. Yahweh or, or Jehovah, so it's supposed to be the the name of God, um, and mm. I, in a way, I, I think it's a bit of a. It, they just use those terminology because I think they like the religious symbols symbolism of it, or at least the writer does. Um, and yeah, also, definitely, it, uh, I don't think that was a coincidence. That's right, absolutely, <laughs> yeah, and it just kind of sounds. It sounds like yeah, some it's it is. I think it's very interesting. Um, it is a very non-religious uh, environment um the mm-hmm. society there's no mention of god at all but it is all the trappings are religious aren't they yeah exactly um i put here as well that nothing dates like the future um so when you see like the cars um are supposed to be futuristic and they look like i don't know 
pro yeah. <laughs> um, they, it, it looks quite dated but yeah so that's yeah. kind of interesting um okay so uh, there's lots of 1984 feels and i think that's right so mm. is it a poor man's matrix why do people say that um i think the, the timing of when it was released um and the like the action scenes as well yeah are very reminiscent of the uh you know the the, the martial arts aspect of of, of the matrix yeah that's also right. the um the style of, of clothes as well that the yeah. uh, that the clerics wear very very neo like that's right yeah i think that's it it's just the feel of the movie i think it mm. it has it has that feel to it but actually it's a very different sort of story it borrows more from 1984, 1984. yeah um, and also um there's a there's a book um i can't remember the author now but it, and it was it was made into a film fahrenheit 451 is it um which is about burning books and it, it's it relates a lot to that actually it reminded me a lot mm. of that film um uh, which we watched at school so that and that is going back quite a long time um so yeah it's got that that feel to it but yeah it, it it's really inheriting this dystopian legacy i think uh, one of the things yeah. that i thought was interesting is it's a fascistic symbolism um in the film so i don't know if you noticed that riley but there was lots of um it, it, it wasn't quite a swastika but it was sort of red and blackish and um yeah it, it looked the the imagery although it was quite religious in some respects there was a lot of of that but also they vote or invoked fascism um as a reason to be the way they were so mm. there were pictures of you know hitler and those sorts of uh, fascist dictatorships as the reason why we needed to get rid of all emotion and yeah. um and it just reminded me of what's going on at the moment and we talk at this moment um with war in europe with russia invading ukraine on the pretext of trying to kill fascists you know that that's the mm -hmm. reason russia are doing it according to russia um so they're behaving in a fascist way yeah um, as an excuse to um be fascist you know it's it's quite strange how the very yeah. thing that they're supposed to be fighting it's, against it's like what inception become. levels fascism <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah no it really is it's like levels upon levels yeah yeah um <laughs> So there's a little scene in the car there with um, with Partridge, um, who's played by Sean Bean, who's one of the leading names on the film, but he gets killed off really quickly. Actually, I should say, yeah. um, I should say before we go any further, of course there's loads of spoilers. You know, it is a yeah. <laughs> spoiler-filled thing, so we're not going to worry about that. So yeah, he, get, he gets killed off quickly because it's clear that he's starting to lose the faith. What did you? think about that and did, how does that relate to the metaphor that, that we're using throughout this yeah that, that was really interesting so um, if I could relate it to um, Jehovah's Witnesses and ex-Jehovah's Witnesses Sean Bean's yeah. character um, reminded me of a, a Pimo elder <laughs> yes it's kind yes. of like a Pimo elder you know yeah. like uh, somebody who's part of the establishment and not just part of the establishment, responsible for enforcing the establishment, the, the establishment's hold yeah. on, mm. on, on the main populace, but he's not fully convinced and he's mm. starting to doubt 
and he's starting to question at least internally yeah you know so the, the, that that really struck a chord with me because I, I i have dealings with pimo elders on quite a regular basis Right. So that that character really resembled some of the um, experiences that I've that I've heard firsthand. Yeah, I think that's very good, isn't it? And um, that's very true. The the the, char- the main character um, uh, Preston notices the very slightest sort of the inflection of the voice from mm. Sean Pert- um, from Sean Bean's character that that suggests maybe he's not completely on board. So. Then he goes yeah. away and, and looks at it again, looks at the recording of that conversation, and um, he's starting to have his doubts about about him. Yeah, you're right. That is very much like like that, um, and it's it must be very difficult to hold those two positions really. And I think mm. actually the Sean Bean character in the end is is past caring because when he finds him, he said, "You've always known." Uh, and of course, he he pays with his with his life, which I think is quite interesting. Um, the, mm. uh, the the Preston character again, the main character, he he's uh, we find out that he's got this kind of special ability to be able to notice other people's emotions or if they've got emotion. Um, so he's very good at spotting people who are not taking their prosium to keep them in this non-emotional state, which mm. I thought was interesting because actually in, in, to enable you to do that, you're going to have to be quite empathetic or empathic, aren't you? You're going to have to be able to notice somebody else's emotion. So in its in its own logic, it doesn't really make sense. But that is also I, I, often the case, isn't it? Exactly. And I thought that was really, really interesting because mm. I, I firmly believe that I'm not sure how, how it is for other cultic groups and high control groups. Maybe it's the same, but since you know I only have experience with Jehovah's Witnesses, that's sure. that's what I can draw from. But I definitely believe that if you have, there are certain personality traits that if one has them and and one is a member of a cult or a high control group, their days in that group are numbered. They yeah. won't stay in it indefinitely if they have these certain kinds of personality traits and Mm. that was seen in in christian bale he had this empathic ability to to see emotions in other people and i think that that was ultimately what led to him waking up as is the case in real life with many people in that's right cults yeah 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 no that's a really good point yeah that's that's absolutely right um so we're then introduced properly to um, I've written this down, Vice Council DuPont of the Third Councillory of the Tetragrammaton. Um, <laughs> what a mouthful. I bet he's got big business cards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is when we find out about um, the Christian Bale's character having these special abilities. There's this mm. um, this term that is a kind of clever play on words, I suppose, uh, sense offenders. So yeah. sense offenders are people who... Are are feeling essentially they're they're either not taking their drugs or for some reason they're not they're not actually suppressing their emotions like they should, and of course for for the Christian Bell character for Preston the the big uh, issue there was his wife was actually yeah. a sense offender so she is uh, is caught this is done in flashback and in dream sequences where he remembers his wife being taken and. Um, 
well, burned alive, essentially. Pretty mm-hmm. horrific. So who do we think's done this? Um, I, I, I think it's fairly clear. Who, who dobs her in? Who, um, who squeals on her to tell the authorities that she is a sense offender? Because it's not him. Um, it seems to be the son, doesn't it? I think that yeah, they, that's they suggest I think it is as well. that it's the boy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so we, we get a bit of that um, that sort of background, and it's then that we we see his confrontation with Partridge, the Sean Bean character, who's mm. reading poetry, um, which is from Yeats, and there's a there's a little section that he reads there. Um, and of course, he 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 kills him. He uh, he, mm. he summarily uh, executes him essentially. Although I think the Sean Bean character forces him into it. It's death by cop, a suicide by cop, I suppose, essentially. Yeah, and, and I, th- I think that that sorry, I think that 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 scene was was really interesting as well because mm. it it reminded me of how in the Jehovah's Witness organization, the only binding tie between anybody is the, the dogma and the doctrine. Yeah. Yeah. Once that is taken out of the picture, there's nothing that ties you, ties one person to another. Mm. So your closest friend can end up being the person who, who kills you in a, yeah. in a religious sense. I mean, like being yeah, disfellowshipped, yeah. Mm. being disfellowshipped from the organization is like spiritual death. They, they describe it as. You know, and that yeah. that happens between friends. I mean, you you could be a friends, or you could be an elder yourself, or you could be mm. you know very close to the elders, and they are the ones who have to execute you, metaphorically speaking. You know, once that binding tie of the doctrine is gone, and I thought that that played out in the scene between uh, Preston and, and Partridge. Yeah, that's that's very true. I think the the other thing to uh, to just highlight there is is uh, this is fairly early in the film we're, we're, we're only in the first half an hour but mm-hmm. one of the things that you you are feeling is this smotheringness if that's a word it isn't but we're going to make it a word of the <laughs> society where you know everyone is watching you you know so yeah. his best friend really is watching him and of mm-hmm. course he ends up killing him but his, his son that his own son is is watching him um his yeah. You know, everybody's watching each other and they are absolutely ready and willing to turn them in. And obviously that does remind us of Jehovah's Witnesses, but I think, you know, some cults are even more so. So we interviewed Erica Bornman from the Quasi Sabantu group and she was saying as children particularly, you know, you, you literally had to spy on your friends even when they were playing, you know, mm-hmm. and if you saw something you had to tell. Um, the pastor about yeah. it, you know, and that's that is very much that feeling of, uh, you know, you, you you can't trust anyone. Essentially, you're all alone, yeah, um, and you have no one to talk to because if you do, if you say the wrong thing, then you know you've had it. Um, I know when I was when I had doubts about my beliefs around uh, being a Jehovah's Witness, I was very careful who I talked to, you know, mm-hmm. because it's mm-hmm. it's just too dangerous, isn't it? To, to actually yeah. say what you think, yeah. So in enters uh, Brant, who now is the replacement for the Sean Bean character. He he's going to become 
his partner is going to become the um, Christian Bale character's partner. So what do we think about Brandt? What does this man sort of have written over his uh, his face? It's it's kind of he's trouble, extremely isn't it? ambitious. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's like the young upstart. <laughs> Absolutely, who thinks he knows better than the veterans? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and he's um, he's also got this same gift in that he can tell if other mm-hmm. people have emotions. Um, going through, um, we'll probably come back to this, but um, throughout the film, there's periods where it seems clear that there's there's some level of hypocrisy and double standards because Brandt, I think, displays quite a bit of emotion at times. It's very clear yeah. he has mm-hmm. emotion. What did you think about that? Yeah, that was that was uh, interesting and a little bit confusing as well because many times you saw him like smile or, That's right. or giggle, and yes. it was, yeah, it was just like was was that intentional as part of the story or was that just like um did, did they neglect to just to, to see that and like you know adjust it I, I'm, I'm not sure yeah i'm not i'm not sure i i think um i mean later on there's a there's a scene right near the end where the 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 big boss the um the guy with the very long title the dupont character um mm. he gets very angry so Again, mm-hmm. uh, it, whether it's on purpose or not, I think it's relevant for our for our analysis using it as a metaphor for high control groups because we do see the hypocrisy within uh, the leadership of these organisations, both at the head level, like the governing body level, but also in the elder, uh, the body mm-hmm. of elders. You know, the the things that some of those guys do. Um. Actually, you know, if a normal publisher did them, would probably be uh, in a lot of trouble. Yeah. yeah. Or I know that's very said, interesting. Yeah, like sons or daughters of elders, for instance, seem to uh get away with certain things uh whereas yeah. others don't, you know, and I think there is some of that. And bound to be really because these are human beings um mm-hmm. who are essentially trying to protect their own families, really. But yeah. Yeah, so I I think that's the way I look at that. Is um, I don't know what that means in terms of taking the drug that they're supposed to be taking, but I think there, there's evidence there that actually mm. there's a lot of double standards in that organisation. Um, so we're in in sort of about twenty minutes in, twenty five minutes in, and we we I think we're starting to to become suspicious that at this point that Preston, the Christian Bale character is either starting to be a bit erratic with his taking of the drug or even with the drug, he's starting to have his doubts. Um, and the, the sort of main bit of that is when they have a raid where they're going to raid this house um, with, uh, and the, the character here is is called Mary O'Brien and it's actually Emily Watson is the actor here. A very young Emily Watson. Watson, um, not to be mm-hmm. confused with Emma Watson. This is Emily Watson, um, but yeah. So, does a, a did you make anything of that scene? Is that anything that that you wanted to say about that one? Yeah, um, that really resonated with me. Yeah, um, as I, as I said earlier, um, I, I interact a lot with Pivo elders. Uh, yeah. One in particular who's become a, a close friend, 
And how 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 we became friends is that he he reached out to me because he was going through a really difficult time. He was very, very stressed because he'd started to wake up, no longer believed in the religion, but he was still an elder and he was currently on a judicial committee where the elder body wanted to disfellowship this young boy who was only like 18 years old. And he was so cut up about this because he knew the impact it was going to have on, on this poor boy's life. And he was extremely conflicted, hmm. extremely conflicted. So I kind of saw that, that real life story kind of like hmm. superimposed onto the scene, that, that particular scene of the yeah. movie, you know, where you've got somebody who's responsible for enforcing the rules, but doesn't fully believe them but yeah. still has to do it to keep up appearances. Yeah. And that causes a whole lot of internal, you know, turmoil and conflict, which is ultimately damaging. Yeah. yeah. That's a really good point, isn't it? Um, there's a, there's a scene in there where he, um, he's quite rough with her and he, he grabs her. He pushes her in front of a mirror and says, look at you. And of course with, him doing that he can see himself there as well yeah. and obviously a, a a moment of yeah conflict in a conflict there he's, he's seeing what he's mm. actually doing um i also think the the behavior of him is also that this overzealous behavior is something that we perhaps see in the early days of somebody with doubts is you tend to double yeah. down on exactly. your your behavior you know so at that point you know you're really trying to prove to yourself that you believe it which might be why he was behaving that way yeah um there's a bit of a uh a kerfuffle let's say yeah and um he, basically she's going to get shot and he saves her by um holding the the gun up in the air and stopping brant from killing her which is his first kind of act of, you know, actual act of doing something that, that could put him in danger. He gives the reason mm. for that, that he wants to question her. Um, but yeah, I think that that's the moment where he starts to do something. He starts to make some actual changes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've, I've spoken to elders who have said that they would, instead of leaving the organization, they would rather stay in it to try and affect change. Yeah. You know, so that if they are um, um, put on a judicial committee and, and, and charged with deciding somebody's spiritual fate, they can try and sway mm. the other elders around to leniency or, yeah. you know, trying to, try you know, be a force for good within the, within the organization. And, and that was very similar to what Christian Bale's actions were in saving, That's right. saving, um, Mary What's the name, Mary. Yeah. Mary O'Brien. Yeah. Mary. Yeah, yeah. Mary O'Brien. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we then get an interrogation where, I mean, I think he's, he's not quite, um, completely lucid at this point. So he's, he's going through that conflict stage still. Um, and he's interviewing her again. He's, he's being quite rough with her. And, um, 
I mean, I suppose that that's the way that you would expect a totalitarian regime to behave mm. to some degree. But I think there's there's it's over egging that in some respects. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there's like a conversation with with him the where she's saying to him, you know, why? What what's the point in life if you cannot have emotions? Mm. If you cannot enjoy life, then what is the point? And I think that's that's quite poignant. Uh, it, it's a difficult philosophy to to sort of philosophy is always difficult, but I don't know what you thought about that, that scene. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I totally, I totally agree with what she said. You know, mm. um, life is, isn't, shouldn't just be about existing. Yeah. <clears throat> life is for living. Yeah. But, uh, being a member of a high control group or, or a cult, you don't actually, if you just exist and you just function. Yeah. Absolutely. And that, that's mm. spot on, isn't it? As a metaphor, you know, that is the way that a yeah. lot of cult life is. It's, it's very perfunctory. I mean, life can be like that when you, you go, get up, go to work, you come home, you go back to work again the next morning and so on. Then we, I think we all struggle with that a little bit, but um, within a cult, you are, you know, that all your waking time should be spent thinking about it, you know, doing yeah. what you should be doing. And so, yeah. I remember um, years, years before I left the organization, while I was still fully mentally in it. Yeah. But I, I went through a period where I was really, really suffering from the demands of the religion, the demands yeah. of the lifestyle. And I remember saying to my wife at the time, I feel like, I'm not a human being, I'm a human doing. <laughs> and I know that that, that, that uh, phrase is a bit fluffy and a little bit airy-fairy, but it is very, very accurate to how I felt. And it's extremely accurate to what the life of a cog in a machine is like. Mm. You know, your, your entire existence is to serve a purpose. It's not about you. It's mm. not about experiencing or being. <clears throat> it's yeah. all about what you can do in service of the whole. Absolutely, absolutely, and the, and it's not even hidden that really, is it? I mean, I remember um, counsel from the platform and through the publications that were very explicit about that. It was it was very much, um, you know, we we don't live for ourselves. We live for Jehovah, and and He owns yeah. us essentially, or Jesus owns us, and. So yeah. we he allows us to have some life back, but that's only so that we can be refreshed, ready to to serve him again. So, and everything yeah. looked through that lens. You know, even having a pet or something. You know, will yeah. it will it stop you? Will it get in the way of your serving Jehovah? You know, so yeah. should I get married? Should I have children? Even yeah, should we have a dog? You know, mm. it's it's all. What about this job or, or that job or? this career or that career, is it going to stop you serving Jehovah? Well, playing football on a Sunday night, well, that's all right, as long as you don't get injured to stop you serving Jehovah the next day, you know. Yeah, um, I mean, um, I saw ridiculous. recently, it is ridiculous, I mm. saw recently uh, on Twitter a uh, uh, screenshot of an old, it was, in all fairness, it was a very old Watchtower magazine, mm. but it was even saying that you should consider whether or not you want to be in an interracial interracial relationship because of how it might affect mm. your mm. preaching. Yeah. Because, you know, for instance, if you're white and your partner is black and you turn up on the doorstep together out right. in the ministry in an area where interracial relationships aren't common or or welcome, 
mm-hmm. how will that affect right. the person you're preaching to, you know? So even something like that, it, it, it's all got to be about whatever you're doing, how will it affect your ministry? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's pretty shocking, actually, isn't it? But yeah, it's very um, shocking. When when it when you take things like that to its logical conclusion, that's where you end mm. up, isn't it? Um, yeah. And that is the very definition, really, of a of a totalist totalistic belief system where everything has to be related to your service to the group. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's yeah. And and some would say it's about your relationship with god but actually it's not it's not about god actually it's about what you're doing you made that point very well you know it's not about your faith it's not how about how you feel towards your god certainly within our background it was about what you were doing how much time were you spending on the ministry were you an elder yet you know did you what were your children like if if you had them and that that was the sort of thing that you were that you were judged on essentially Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he's starting to uh, you're now starting to really see definitely that he's stopping taking his uh, his drugs so that he's starting to feel um, you can see that now he rips the protective bit from the window so he can actually see out of the window now see the beauty of the city uh, and he's starting to feel that even the tactile feel of of uh, running his hand along a banister is a sensation that he's just, you know, starting to appreciate. Um, and that, that reminded me a lot of when I, I've talked about this a bit. Um, but when I, the moment when I made peace with the fact that I was going to leave up to that point, you know, it's all, it's all a very difficult time and you're being pulled in all different directions. But the moment I made my decision that I was no longer going to be a Jehovah's witness, um, I just felt like everything became full color. You know, you know that bit in the Wizard of Oz where it starts off in black and white, yeah, and then yeah, and then it all becomes color. Um, it was like that. You know, the sun was shining in the sky. The sky was blue, a bit like today, just a beautiful blue sky and and the leaves on the trees were greener and the birds were singing and it just felt no word of a lie. No word of a lie. You are not the first person I've heard yeah. saying that. I've spoken yeah. to several people who have said that literally the, the day they got disfellowshipped or the day that they disassociated, yeah. they literally saw colours that they'd never seen before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a wonderful feeling. I mean I mean then reality kicks in and you you've got all this shit to put up with, but it's <laughs> like for that moment, it was, yeah, and I think that's that for me is what that represents. Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. Uh, we also, I thought, um, well, I'll ask you what what you thought about it. So, so a lot, a lot of the times, again, a bit like the film and the book 1984 by George Orwell, um, there's constant indoctrination propaganda mm. going on. Um, so as he's walking into the office, he's hearing it. And as he's walking in the streets, he's hearing it. We can see Father, who is this picture, this um, character, this head and shoulders character who talks at everybody. What does that represent? To me, that represents the constant studying, meeting yes. preparation, uh, the Watchtower study, the question and answer part, the Watchtower study, you know, yeah 
all of those things, it's just never ending and it is yeah. just constant because you don't, if it were really the truth, you wouldn't need to be indoctrinated about it constantly 24 seven. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the truth, the, the actual truth doesn't need constant reinforcement. That's right. You know, yeah. I mean, you go to school and you learn that two plus two is four. You learn it once and then that's it. <laughs> you don't Absolutely. have to study every single day to know that yeah. two plus two is four because it's just, a, it's a truism. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's exactly what it, what it said to me that it's, and it's, it is absolutely like that. I, I don't know. I guess a lot of people that listen to this podcast, um, will will have experienced that because they've come out of a cult but i think a lot of our listeners are just interested so if you've never experienced what that's like it is like that it's like that film where you are constantly bombarded with messages um you're supposed to read the day's text in the morning a little bit of scripture a little bit of Mm -hmm. the bible but then that's explained from a watchtower from years ago or from a previous watchtower and that's the beginning of your day and then you go throughout your day um doing whatever you've got to do if you're really good you're going on the ministry so that means that you do a field service meeting which means that you study another little bit of something wisdom and then you're you're off again you're doing stuff in the ministry which itself is reinforcing your beliefs and then you go to the meeting in the evening possibly and Again, you're being reinforced. You're supposed to be studying every day, really. So so it's constantly either being or indoctrinating yourself. And as you say, you don't need that for things that are That's right. Are and true. it's because if you don't do that, it won't stick. That's right. It's, it's only temporary. And that, that is also a, um, a metaphor for the pills that they're taking. Yes, because it's it wasn't a it's not a one time dose that gets rid of your yeah. emotions permanently. You have to keep on doing it, and you miss one dose, your emotions start to come back, and that's exactly I could not think of a more perfect way to describe mm. the indoctrination that happens in the Jehovah's Witness religion. Because you, I mean, they even they're even quite honest about that. They even mm. say. You've got to keep feeding yourself spiritually because if you even miss a little bit, yes. it will have an effect on you. And they are absolutely right. It's true. It does. And, and when you think about that, so that's one of those bits of language that um, we became very used to saying, you know, feeding yourself spiritually. Mm. What a load of utter nonsense. Absolutely. What does that actually mean? Yeah. Feeding yourself spiritually. It's just a set of words that are completely meaningless. Don't yeah. feed yourself spiritually. Um, it's just, and yet you just take it for granted. You just think you know what that that phrase means. But yes, mm-hmm. what it actually means is is indoctrinating yourself, um, exactly, or putting yourself in a position where somebody else is going to indoctrinate you. Um, mm. Yeah, it's really really interesting the way that language is used. And I think actually, um, I meant to say there's some euphemisms that are used in the film, which I think again point to that the use of language so uh execution is called processing um (laughs) and you know it again this is what it's like in cults there is a whole language that goes with it and that language hides the reality of what's actually happening um that was very 1984 
Yeah. Um, like in, in 1984, they had all of these different ministries. That's and right. the one that sticks out in my mind was the Ministry of Change. Was it the Ministry yes. of Change? Or am I getting mixed up sure. with something else? I'm actually getting, <laughs> this is funny. I'm actually getting mixed up with an episode of Red Dwarf where <laughs> they went to a planet. They went to a planet that was just like 1984 and they had a ah. ministry there called the Ministry of Change. Right. And they changed people from being living people to dead people. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it was basically a house of execution, but they called that it a is... Ministry of Change. <laughs> Which again is a great euphemism, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's loads of those in the in the JW's organisation, you know. So, um, having some counsel, yeah, um, means being told off basically about yeah. something that you've done wrong. Um, shepherding visits, uh, just I'm just trying to think of some of the, the, the publicly reproved is basically public shaming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, even disfellowshipping is is a euphemism of shunning, isn't it? That's that's exactly. what that is essentially. Um, so yeah, it's there's there's lots of ways that language is used, and, and the, the film and uses the, the governing body um, do that a lot to be able to to be able to disguise the illogic of some of the things that they teach. Yeah. Like they they'll say that they're not leaders, but they take the lead. I mean, how does that make sense? How do you square that circle? Absolutely, I'm, yeah. I'm not a leader. I just take the lead. That's true. And um, they say, oh, we're not. We're not um, we're not inspired. We're spirit directed. Yes. When they're they're essentially the same thing, you know. Yeah. Word, word games. They they employ that tactic a lot. Absolutely. Um, disfellowshipping is a loving arrangement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. These. Um, yeah. These. These. Yeah. When. When. When one things mean when one thing means another thing. I mean that it's that double speak, is it in nineteen eighty four? I think it's called. Yeah, double um, speak. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's it's a classic, it's a classic tactic. It's not like uh, cults and groups are making this stuff up. It's it's been around many many years. It's um, yeah. it's just deploying the same old tactics. I mean, it's happening again. You know, you hear Putin talk about the same things you know he's peacekeeping um (laughs) which clearly it isn't so it's 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 a very it's a very familiar tactic i guess which Mm -hmm. uh which has been deployed yeah um okay moving on in terms of the in terms of the story we see another raid uh now at this point preston's fully he's fully out really he's completely uh well he's definitely pimo he's he's kind of still in the in the garb, you know, he's still part of the of the the Grammerton cleric, but he he knows it's not right, um, yeah. but he's having to go along with it, which is obviously quite a distressing thing. He he gets blood on his hands, obviously metaphor for what that means, um, and they they have this raid where there's all these artifacts, there's all these this room with all these these cultural artifacts. He puts on a record, and it's a beautiful piece of music. It's Beethoven's Ninth Symphony in yeah. D minor. It's it's a beautiful piece of music. Um, yeah, I don't know. Is there anything there that that kind of that you thought about, or is that just part of the story moving on? 
Oh no, that reminded me of the um, XJW Reddit um, subreddit. Okay. <laughs> so you'll get somebody who's still in the organization physically, but they're mentally right. out, and then they discover this room <laughs> of sorts, oh, you know, full of full of um, enlightenment. <laughs> you know, like a jwfacts.com, you know, uh, and um, all these different sources of information that they weren't privy to before. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then you just go down a rabbit hole and just spend ages and ages and ages in this room just consuming, consuming as much information as you can. Interesting. Yeah, I, I mm. also I'm thinking about the cultural stuff. So, I mean, all the films you, you couldn't watch before, all the... Yeah all the books you couldn't read, all the music you couldn't listen to. Um, you have this amazingly rich heritage um, that your culture has given you that you've had no no access mm. to, really. Mm. Um, you know, That's I don't know about true. you, but so many... I mean, even the film itself, you know, we wouldn't be able to watch that, or at least I wouldn't have felt comfortable watching this film because of its yeah. violence. Um, the Matrix, the same, other films of all sorts of ilk, you know, just just didn't watch them. So you're left with just very asinine Disney films, mm. really. Yeah. Um, and the music is all middle of the road, isn't it? And yeah, it's um, yeah, but that's that room. Yeah, it represents. So to you, it represents the like the subreddit where you've got all these different opinions and people pontificating about what they think and don't mm. think. And it's kind of wonderful. Um, and then there's also this, this cultural element where you've got this, it's like a, a room of wonders that you can, that you can yeah. indulge in. Yeah, that's very true. I like, I like, I like your interpretation of it. Yeah. That's, that's true. very apt. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, uh, things get destroyed, um, but he does keep a book, doesn't he? Which is, mm. and there's a scene there that is exactly the same as a previous um, scene. That's so right. It's, it's basically the mirroring the other one. Mm. Yeah. So that um, book that 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 made me think of something. So yeah, no matter how good a Joe is witness, somebody is. Yeah. There's always at least one thing that they do that they're not supposed to. <laughs> yeah. It's, for some people, it could be like really, really bad according to the rules of religion. For some people, it could be something, you know, relatively innocuous. Mm. But yeah. everybody has something. <laughs> you know, it could be soap operas or, yeah. you know. Mm watching another kind of program that that isn't advisable but everybody had one thing that they did that wasn't really a, um, in accordance with the rules and you had a little bit of a guilty conscience about it but you did it anyway yeah exactly exactly <laughs> yeah um when uh, we we've interviewed people from different groups over the over the, the year or so that we've been doing this podcast we had um uh, a young woman from the Amish community called Lizzie. Mm. Um, and she, they're very, you know, very isolated uh, from the world, but she would listen to, as she was walking, perhaps walking to the shops or something, she'd hear 
music coming out of people's houses or something like that. And um, so it's country and Western music for her that, um, that it sort of, oh, okay. that was the thing that, you know, attracted her. And then we, we talked to Erica again recently and it was um, Nana Muscuri, I think first. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I forget now, but yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting how music is such a, um, it is such a liberator. It seems to be one of mm. the things that, and you can understand why the society. So I, I always feel that the society, it, it's easy to say that it's crazy. These rules are crazy and they are crazy, but they are, they are well. right to be afraid yeah. of music and culture because yes, of course it, it puts us in touch with our humanity and with the rest of society that we are cutting ourselves off from. So of course they want you to um, to stop doing those things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um and then the uh the, the one that you you realize exactly where people stand is when uh when the dog turns up or the dogs turn up. So yeah. um, so this is where he's now having to officiate in the culling of a whole bunch of dogs. Um, and one of the dogs runs out, little puppy or a puppy runs out and uh, licks his face. And uh, they've managed to get the cutest dog ever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and he just can't do it, can he? Bless no. him. He can't kill the dog, which puts him in actually a really dangerous situation, which we, we sort of see a bit later. But at this point, he's trying to save the dogs. Um but he decides, well, he can't save them all, but he's going to take this one dog to, to get tested or something like that. So he's, he's yeah. literally trying to rescue this one dog, putting his life at risk. Yeah. That's right. Which says something completely different, I think, about life, but um, it, it is strange how this bond we have with dogs as human beings, it's, um, <clears throat> it's uh, very, very strong. Um, right, there's a, now an argument with DuPont, who's the, the big chief, or at least... He's the spokesman for Father. Um, so the Christian Bale character has an argument with him about the way that they are doing things. Did you, did you note that conversation? Did you have any opinions about that? Yeah, I mean, um, even some elders who are not necessarily Pima, yeah. uh, fully indoctrinated, fully mentally in, yeah. they, they might from time to time disagree with the way certain things are done. Yes. But there's absolutely no recourse whatsoever yeah. for them to voice their opinions and for their opinions to be heard and taken on board. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I that's what I thought really. It's this um mm. it's all about obedience. So yeah. and the argument is that the behaviour of these clerics which is basically just summary execution of everybody rather than proper processing which is you know find out what what they're doing find out what they know and so on this is what the christian bell character preston wants to happen which is according to law that's what the law says they should do but yeah. they've they've had this separate directive um from dupont apparently from father um, to say that they don't do that, they do something different, and so he mm. he recognizes the hypocrisy here. Um, I think you led to believe that, although of course he's now not taking his drug to 
to stop him having emotions. It it seems like an old argument. It seems like something he's said before. So that suggests that even in his previous state, as you said, even when he was completely mm-hmm. in it, he still felt that yeah. things were being done wrong. Um, I, I did write it down what, what DuPont says. He said, it's not the message that's important. It's our obedience to it. Yeah. And that could have been ripped straight out of a watchtower. Absolutely. I mean, um, this thing that they've been on for the past few years that um, follow direction from a governing body, even if it doesn't make sense from a human or strategic standpoint, Mm. we should be ready to obey. That is almost verbatim. (laughs) It is. It's it's unbelievable, isn't it? It's it's such a... A telling phrase, yeah, it's all about obedience. And how often are the Bible stories in the Bible, how often are they picked and chosen specifically to demonstrate obedience? Obedience. It's about Mm -hmm. obedience, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay, that was interesting. Um, There's, uh, we, we find out what happens with the dog. He tries to to go into the the zone where he can let the dog out and i mean poor things on its own he doesn't want to go he gets found um tries to bluff his way out of it and in the end has to kill a whole bunch of people to save the dog um what i mean obviously there's a an ethical question there which i think is quite interesting um is that the right thing to do? You know, to save a dog, kill about 10 people. Um, on the face of it, one would say no. Um, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that isn't very interesting ethical debate, but um, mm. the, the, the way I kind of interpret that is how, how strongly or to the lengths that a person would go to fight for what they believe is right Mm. you know or to you know when you have that it's like everyone has a line that they just that they just can't cross or Mm. a a standard that they will just do everything to defend because it means that much i mean even if you just look at the situation in a purely clinical uh from a purely clinical perspective like um it was 10 people to one animal, hmm. you know, that, that, that fight to save that animal's life for him, that represented that thing. Yeah. yeah. It represented that one thing. And in, in the organization, it could, I mean, you could get a really, really devout Jehovah's witness, uh, somebody who's like given everything to hmm. the organization, but then their child gets disfellowshipped and they're told that they have to shun their child. And they're like, I just can't. <laughs> yeah, that's the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a good. That's an interesting way to uh, to interpret that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so there's a there's another raid. There's a bit of um, uh, again. We see that uh, that Preston is is definitely trying to help these people now. He's he's you know he's, he's literally in that position where he's trying to help them escape. Uh, unfortunately, he's not able to do that. But there is a, a little switch that happens there that we we find out about later. Um, but but that's happening. And um, 
he now wants to really understand uh, about this underground. And I think I think he's he's trying to pretend that he's very zealous now, wants to destroy it. But really, he wants to to have a bit of cover to try and find out what this underground is is all about. He meets yeah. one of the leaders of this underground movement called Jurgen, um, and then yeah, we, we start to learn a bit about what what this underground is doing and what the how they're sort of literally living underground and um, hiding as many cultural artifacts as they can, um, mm. and enjoying a life that um, includes emotion. I don't know if there's any parallels there that, that you thought about. Um, yeah, for me, that was like discovering the XJW community. Yeah. You know, all of these people and all of these um, acronyms, Pee-wee, Pimo, Pomo, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. I remember what it was like for me discovering that for the first time. And I just had no idea that there were communities of four Jones witnesses. It was mm. a complete revelation to me. Revelation. <laughs> Pardon the pun. <laughs> yeah, but that's true, isn't it? Yeah. There's this this huge um, community, for want of a better word, um, that are brought together under these situations. It's one of the things that's quite interesting. I mean, um, you know, the, the fact that you and I belonged to the same religion is what's brought us together and, and the reason why we're, we're chatting like this and we feel a certain um identification with each other because of that and mm-hmm. it's there's something strange about that um you know i've said this before but you know uh, in this on this podcast i talk to people all around the world and some of them are extra host witnesses um and they're the ones that i particularly feel this kind of intimacy with you know what they're talking about when they talk about yeah. this thing and that thing and they could be very different from a very different culture, but you recognize something. Yeah. And that's kind of wonderful in, in a strange way. Um, it doesn't mean, though, that everybody is the same. And, mm. you know, without going into it, we know there's been difficulties within the community over the last few weeks and months. But um, I think it's important to appreciate it for what it is. You know, it's, it's a group yeah. of people who have been quite badly hurt are able to come together and find some somewhere to, to be at least for a time. It's yeah. not the end goal. You know, they don't want to live underground forever. That's not the end no. goal. That's not where they want to stay forever, but it is a place that where they can support each other and hopefully move to a place where they can actually put it all behind mm-hmm. them. So, yeah. Yeah. And also um, what resonated with me is the, the fact that this underground movement, I mean, they were underground metaphorically speaking and literally correct as well because they were literally below street level but the difference between that group and the people who lived above ground who were still uh subdued emotionally to to me that that represents the difference between the jehovah's witnesses idea of what unity is and what unity actually is Mm -hmm. because what jehovah's witnesses call unity isn't unity it's uniformity yes it's everybody being the same looking the same and acting the same whereas the people underground they were all individuals they were all different but they had a common goal and a common purpose that's unity that's Mm -hmm. real unity um what what the witnesses have and what the 
you know, the, the populace above ground had in the movie was uniformity. Yeah. And it's extremely stifling. Mm. Yeah, that's a very good point. So there's a, uh, I think now there's this conversation that we alluded to before between um, DuPont and Preston, where DuPont is wanting results and he's mm. not getting results. And he clearly demonstrates anger here. Yeah. Uh, I think this suggests that he's not taking his medicine. Mm. I don't think DuPont is on the same regime as his people, essentially. Um, and that, I think, again, that relates back to this hypocrisy and mm. the fact that, that even at the very top of the organisation, the things that they are telling other people they should do or shouldn't do, uh, they're actually doing some of that stuff themselves. Yeah, also, I think as well, is that, um, it, that that's a good metaphor for... People at the very top, I mean, like in the governing body, I'm, I'd be willing to bet money that there is at least one member of the governing body who doesn't believe any of this, but yeah. they believe, they believe in what they're doing, but they don't necessarily believe in how they're doing it, but mm. they think it's a price worth paying, mm. you know? Yeah. yeah. So, I, you know, there's got to be at least one who doesn't believe it's the truth, but they, they think that the ends justifies the means and what they're working towards is a good thing. So it's worth lying about. Yeah. Um, there's all sorts of mental gymnastics, I think, that people are mm. able to to do um, to, uh, to to allay or to dampen down that cognitive dissonance you know what yeah. one of that is is to yes justify what you're doing um on the basis of some greater good but yeah that's, yeah. that's very good yeah um, i mean you hear this phrase sometimes um even if it isn't the truth it's still the best way of life <laughs> yeah. yes i've heard it said um yeah. in my own family actually and and um yeah i never uh, I, I suppose as a child, I might have thought that, but I always found that very difficult to accept. But I know it is a, it is a trope that um, that yeah. is trotted out. Yeah, it is the best way of life, even if it's, even if it's not tr the truth as such. Well, yeah. that just undermines the whole thing for me. But yes, that is one of the one of the the, the things that gets trotted out. Um, okay, so we're getting to the end game now of the film. Um, he is unable to save the life of Mary. Um, at this point, he's completely identified Mary with his wife, um, mm -hmm. who died in similar circumstances. Um, and he's, uh, you know, he's a bit of a mess and he, he falls to the ground. And um, in sadness and anger and upset, and um, obviously... Um, he's arrested by Brandt, who we knew was going to be trouble. Uh, mm -hmm. He's he's now the guy who arrests him and um, yeah brings him to Dupont, the 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 leader. This is a more kind of um, narrative thing where where Chris, the Christian Bell character thinks he's actually played a bit of a clever trick where he switched the guns, so it makes it look like actually. It's Brandt that's been the person that's yeah that's uh, undermining everything, and he's not the one who's 
done this killing and so on. So uh, is there anything there that, that you, you see? I couldn't see anything there that, that was relevant for our conversation, but it's an um, important I, device I for the story. Either. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. At this point, the, the story starts to become a bit of a, because it is an action film at the end of the day. And so there are periods of it, which are just shooty, shooty, bang, bang, slash, slash, you know, um, mm. which, I mean, I, I've never been that keen on those sorts of scenes. They don't really interest me very much. Um, there's also this, um, we didn't mention it, but there's this thing that is kind of, it looks like the Matrix sort of moves, but it's to do with, uh, apparently, they've calculated where to stand and how to uh, fight so that you can essentially not be hit by any of the shots that, that the bad guys yeah. are shooting at you clearly nonsense um but it does allow christian bale to do some fancy uh, yeah. uh martial arts uh, so we see some of that stuff but uh we it kind of isn't that relevant for us i don't think um so anyway um the this all this all plays out where where christian bale the character of christian bale character thinks that he's played this little blinder and now he wants to go and see father mm. um and he thinks that you know he's going to be able to do that and he's going to be able to to kill him and that's basically now the goal he's acting as uh he's acting for the underground movement he's going to kill father and that's basically what's going to happen um what happens though he finds out that it was a double cross <laughs> it's a double cross of the double cross <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, so it's all a bit contrived. Um, yeah. But we learn a very important point, I think, which is very, very relevant for XJWs and other members of certain groups, that uh, father doesn't really exist. Yeah. And I thought that this was absolutely huge. Mm. You know, it, it was an absolutely huge revelation for the metaphor that we're, com you know, comparing this yeah. with. Yeah. Absolutely huge because this Jehovah that the Jehovah's Witnesses worship is nothing but a, um, what's the word? An avatar. Yeah. It's an avatar for the governing body. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it is absolutely nailed on, isn't it? It couldn't be yeah. more... Uh, fitting yeah so mm -hmm. this character that we've seen that we've had the face talking um, it's actually all being done as a front for this DuPont character who's the actual one in charge we've seen him all the time yeah. he's been calling the shots he's been saying what we should do he's been making the rules he's been reaping all the benefits of, of the the way that the society mm -hmm. set up Um but he's been using this this figure um, as the this front persona of father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and that is exactly how certainly Jehovah's Witnesses are operating, more so than many. So many cults um, have a charismatic leader that mm. is either still alive or, and maybe he's passed, and it is normally a he, though not always. Maybe they've passed that bat on to somebody else, but it's very much about them. And it's one of my frustrations a little bit with the discussion around cults is that it's often assumed 
that it has to have a charismatic leader in the forefront. Um, but actually, I think for Jehovah's Witnesses, the, the, the leader is this projection. Um, yeah. And it's, it's actually a very good projection of a narcissistic, frightening, mm-hmm. um, unpredictable, difficult character that you are worshipping you know and and the emphasis in the publications is very much on that part of his character yeah um a lot's been said about i mean i'm not i'm not a christian i'm an atheist um i i don't know what your religious beliefs are i'm an atheist as well okay so we come at it from that particular angle, but I think many religions mm-hmm. have Jesus as the, at the forefront and, and the character yeah. of Jesus in the Bible is generally quite a gentle, um, you know, a kind of nice, he seems like quite a nice guy, really. I mean, he has his moments and of course he's part of the, the system that was mm-hmm. there at the time, but um, that the Yahweh, the Jehovah character in the old Testament particularly is, absolutely yeah one minute he's showering praise on you one minute yeah. he's you know i'm going to make a, a whole nation from you and the next minute he's going to kill everybody and yeah. um, uh, one minute he's protecting the nation the next minute he's he's put them in harm's way so that thousands of them get killed and then he'll send a plague, and then he'll send a way to to solve the plague, and then he'll send this, and and yeah, it's very much a unpredictable tyrant figure that is then used by the organisation to yeah. yeah to to make you afraid. I think absolutely. Um, so yeah, very much, very uh, very much a good metaphor for what's happening in that organisation um, in that film. Um, okay, so we're, we're coming pretty much to the end. The, the end is is quite fun, I suppose. He gets through various different layers of uh, protection. Um, yeah. When it comes down to it, the actual leader is is pretty weak. Yeah, he he dispatches him pretty quickly. He also dispatches yeah. Brant's first before that quite yeah. quickly as well. That says something to me. What does it say to you? Um, yeah, that, that says to me that, okay, I, I believe I've said, I said this once in one of my videos that yeah. it takes years in some cases to become a Jehovah's Witness. It's not an easy religion to join. Mm. You, you can't just turn up at an assembly one day and say, I want to get baptized like it is with some other religions. Sure. It takes, you have to study, you have to take a test. <laughs> It's not very hard. Literally, yeah, you yeah. have to take, yeah. you, you yeah. know, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so to, to indoctrinate yourself to the point where you are a believer, it's not a very quick process. Hmm. Undoing all of that indoctrination, not, ne- not necessarily undoing the indoctrination, but proving the doctrines false is extremely easy. Yeah. yeah. Extremely easy. You know, I woke up, from the the doctrines within less than two weeks yeah Mm. less than two weeks of watching you know xjw videos and reading jwfacts.com 
I mean, I dismantled the prohibition against birthdays in under half an hour. Just one video I watched about why it makes no sense to prohibit birthday celebrations. And I was convinced mm. Mm. in just one video. Yeah. And to me, that was, that was represented very well in how easily and quickly he dispatched the two final characters. Yeah. I, I think that's absolutely right. And I think we can also extend that to the individuals as well. I mean, you know, mm. the, uh, the presiding overseer, um, I don't think it's called that anymore. Is it coordinator? Is it, um, yeah. the, the head elder essentially in the congregation used to be called the, the presiding overseer. I think they're the coordinator now, but, um, I think for some people they are such a big figure, you know, they are such a, um, an important figure. So well respected. And sometimes they are quite frightening because some of them are a pretty power mad and um unpleasant mm. i think not all um yeah. but some are um circuit yeah. overseers have a swagger about them don't they you know yeah. they'll come into yeah. the uh the kingdom hall when it's their their visit and there is definitely a swagger uh there used to be district overseers who had an even bigger swagger um mm. and bethel representatives and so on but and i think it's easy to feel these are really spiritual men. These are these are men who have studied the Bible for years and years, and they'll be yeah. able to. They're like the special forces. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I can't really argue with them because they'll yeah. wipe the floor with me. You know, they. they... Yeah. And when you get down to it, the, the best they can do is um, is say things like, "Well, you know, it is a matter of faith, really, and um, yeah. faith isn't the possession of all people. So at the end of the day, it's it's your decision. And and these are the people that you thought were, yeah, like ninjas. You know, these were like spiritual yeah. ninjas that were going to help you to to understand it and so on. But they've got nothing, and no. um, they have no real power. I mean, power is a really interesting point within cults. It's something that I've talked about before. Um, and I think in cults, it is all about power, if you think about it. they Cults um, are very good at ensuring that the cult leadership have all the power. So in mm. organizations, there's often lots of different types of power. So if you think about workplace, you know, the boss, the manager's got power because they've, they've been given that position. Um, but the workers also have power because they can say, if they decide to down tools, then the job doesn't get yeah. done. So they've also yeah. got some power. And then there's power in um, expertise. So you might have, mm. you know, that that old fella in the corner there who um, yeah. is an it's absolute pain in the ass, but, yeah. but he knows everything there is to know about that. So he's got power. Yeah. And then there's these other cats. So you, actually power is distributed, if not evenly, at least it's distributed throughout the organization. And that's how mm. normal organizations work. But in cults, um, all the power is concentrated within the leadership. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's very much what what we see in, in Jehovah's Witnesses and other groups like that, that, that the power is very much concentrated. But when it comes down to it, it's very thin. So it doesn't take much, as you said, to just poke a hole in it. It's It's kind of illusory at the end of the day. The power mm. is only there if you allow it to be there. As soon yeah. as you stand up to it, it just dissipates. Exactly. Um, and I think that, again, is, is, is what's illustrated by that final scene. 
that's something that um, I wouldn't necessarily say I regret, but it's something that I wish I'd realized while I was still a Jehovah's Witness that yeah. the elders only have power over you if you let them. Yeah. The, the extent of their power is to the extent that you show deference to them. Yes. You know, and I, I in some sense, I, I know this might be a little bit, um, what's the word? Sadistic. But I, I wish I could <laughs> kind of go back and then just say to the elders, nah, I don't, I don't feel like meeting with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm all right, thanks. And then just put the phone down. I wish I could, could go back and do something like that. Yeah. To show them that I, I know that you know you don't you're you're just a man you you don't have any power exactly no it's it's a very good point um, yeah I, I I think that's uh, that that's something that I mean even the the feeling that and and I'm not criticizing anybody who does this but you know so if you if an individual wants to disassociate themselves then absolutely fine I totally support that decision because it's absolutely up to each individual. I personally didn't feel the need to do that because I thought, well, I don't owe them anything. I don't mm. owe them an explanation at all. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm just going to tell people that I'm not a Jehovah's Witness anymore. And it, it will be obvious. I actually don't need that to be valid, validated or, mm. you know, uh, ticked by, by them because yeah. I know. Um, that's just the way I, I felt about it, and so I didn't feel any need to to mm. let them have a nice, neat, right time up in that little bow. Stephen's now yeah. out of the congregation. Oh, no, I'm not going to give you that satisfaction. So that's yeah. just my view. Uh, cool. All right. Well, is there anything we've missed on our over an hour uh, discussion of equilibrium? Um, not that I can think of. I think we've done a really good job of covering it. Pretty thorough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we covered our material very thoroughly. <laughs> oh, if you got that, if you got that on your ministry and you knew it wasn't very good thought, you covered the material very well. Oh, yeah. goodness. That's like saying to somebody you're very punctual, isn't it? That's yeah. A backhanded compliment. No, I think yeah. we have. And I, I really enjoyed it. Um, thank me you too. so much, me Riley, too. For, for coming on and doing that. Oh, thank you for having um, me. We we love doing these uh, these film reviews, and it's um, there's so many actually. It's like a, yeah. a whole a whole world of films and uh, culture that you can you can interpret in this way. It's really interesting, actually. Yeah, and I, I think since leaving, I've become really good at sparking them as well. I mean, yeah. even if it's not an entire film, just a particular scene in a film. Yeah. Yeah, and the alarm bells start ringing. You know, <laughs> I know you sent me a um, a little note to watch a video um, about Midnight Mass, which is a Netflix yes. series. Yes. Uh, who was that? Um, forget who it was now. Um, uh, it was um, genetically modified skeptic. That's it. Yeah. yeah, and it was very good. Yeah, so uh, I recommend good. that. Yeah, yeah. but. And I must admit, I hadn't seen all of that. Uh, they they looked at that series. If you've not seen it, is if you can watch it. If you've got Netflix, um, then it's quite it's quite a good series, Midnight Mass, and um, they analyze it in light of fundamentalism, really, don't they? Christian fundamentalism, mm. and um, yeah, very very good actually. Yeah, very good. Very good. 
Cool. Well, what uh, what have you got planned for your channel, Riley? Have you got anything coming up that you want to talk about? Yeah, I'm doing a series of interviews where I um, interview XJWs who are also artists. Right. Uh, yeah, from from a variety of different arts, like uh, um, painting, music, uh, graphic design. Um, yeah, yeah. Because I, firstly, I, I thought that the community could do with a, something a bit more uplifting. Yeah. you know, due to yeah. things that have happened recently. So I wanted to hmm. uh, contribute positively in that way. Um, and I also think that it's important to show the positive side out of transitioning from yeah. from the high control religion of Jehovah's Witnesses, not just, talk, not just talk about how it's damaged people, but talk about how people are flourishing after leaving it and how they're using their experience and turning it into something positive. Yeah. In this instance, you know, art. Yeah, I think that's right. It's something we've always tried to do um, on mm. this podcast. We, we've done something similar with music, trying to uh, get um, musicians on the show, uh, people who are doing things. We had Sapphire Phoenix on the show fairly recently, who's a musician. Um, so that mm. was really interesting. No, it's a great, it's a great idea. Um, yeah, we had uh, John Elson on on our podcast. Um, John might be. Yes, I remember to listening to, to that one. Yeah. yeah. Um he's a caricaturist. He does the artwork for our for our podcast. Um oh, okay. yeah, he's very, very clever, very good mm-hmm. at what he does. Yeah. So yeah, good. Oh well, best of luck with that. Um thank you. Let's keep in touch. Keep uh, definitely keep you on the show. Uh thank yeah. you very much for joining us today, Riley. Oh thanks for having me back again. <laughs> What's that? That's the this is the third time now, I think. Yeah. This is a, I think so, yeah. You were our yeah. very first guest. Um and we talked about uh, what did we talk about last time? Can't remember. Was it another film? I don't think it was a film. I can't, can't remember. remember. That's terrible. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, it's been good. Uh, we do want to get you on uh, with your with your lovely wife Marcia. Yes, yes. To talk about love, to love and romance. Um, yeah. Because I think falling in love with somebody who's been in a uh, a cult or you know a high control group that that is a that is a probably quite an interesting experience and can have mm. some challenges to it so that would be great to get you both on absolutely yeah I can't wait what should I think about is an evil sheep production 